0: And the strike was over a tiny argument as to whether or not the railway workers could go see a doctor and uh, have it be counted as an excused absence or an inexcused absence. That was truly the last quibble point on the argument. And it almost ended up with a major strike that could have been the... (laughs) the last straw to push us into a recession. Once more onto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome back to another exciting second hour of The Personal Wealth Coach starring Jake and... Jeff McClure, McClure. Uh, we are going to befuse, confuse, be muddle, uh, uh, defuse, and strain all of our listening audiences as we talk about things such as Zambia's debt restructuring negotiations with China and other things of great bearing on your daily life. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, actually, yes. they do have bearing. They do. It's just distant. <laughs> it comes around eventually.
1: Well... The fact that the economy of China is slowing, I, I say slowing, growing less fast, growing significantly less fast, and apparently their fuel usage and import is down rather significantly, yeah, is one of the main reasons when you go to fill your car up with gasoline that the price has come down, looking from over five dollars a gallon now down into threes, yeah. So mm-hmm. these. Big events that happen on the other side of the world have a very rapid impact on your economic well being. Whether we like it or not, the world is it always has been global, but economically it's now very much global. And frankly, the forecasts before the Russian invasion of Ukraine were that oil would run about a hundred dollars a barrel all this summer. It's at eighty-five, eighty-six dollars a barrel. And we and Russia is effectively embargoed. They're not. They're not selling oil to the West anymore, which is sort of weird. Why is the price down? By the way, the the Europeans were begging for for more natural gas last week, and the shale drillers association or whatever, but the group of them came back and said, "Sorry, we cannot increase production enough to give you all the gas you're asking for." We're we're increasing production, but we can't find enough people to work, and we don't. We just simply can't ramp up. We don't have the pipelines. We don't have the wells. We don't have the equipment. But we're working on it. Yeah, and that—that is um, for whatever it's worth. Looking back, Germany under Merkel made a horrible strategic mistake. A whole series
0: of them in small, little bite-sized chunks over a long period of time that added up to an elephant.
1: She really sincerely believed that a commercial, a deep commercial engagement with Russia would produce peace. And and it, it's a reasonable thing to think, because why would Russia do something to alienate and destroy its number one customer? And what she didn't appreciate, what she didn't, didn't understand, the Germans are mercantile. They are people who buying and selling is is their lifeblood. She didn't understand that the Russians don't think that way as, as a nation individuals may certainly may and and do, but there's some really good books on that subject, the nature of the the very root core values of different cultures and different nation states around the world. It's certainly a very, very interesting concept It's worth reading about Uh, the clash of empires is the book and
0: it's a good one. Uh, and to give you kind of a taste of what's happening right now, uh, Beijing, which I guess we call it the capital city of China, uh, is pushing the IMF to allow the China Development Bank to be treated like other commercial lenders rather than state-backed ones. What does that even mean? Why is it that I'm saying this? Is the reason is because the IMF looks at is kind of in charge, sort of on bankruptcy rulings between large enterprises, whether that's state-backed or commercial. And a bankruptcy for a commercial bank where somebody's been given a loan, a big company company or country has been given a loan by a commercial bank, the IMF expects some portion of that to get paid back to the commercial company or the commercial company might go under, it might go bankrupt itself where they look at it paying back a state-backed bank, well, it's probably not going to cause the, the state of China to go into bankruptcy if Zambia, Zambia doesn't pay back their $6 billion debt. So Beijing is saying to the IMF, well, these are our only banks. And the IMF is saying, yes, but your only banks are state banks. So when you give a loan, you expect to be treated like a state bank. So they're working on that. It's a fascinating little thing The Belt and Road concept that the Chinese have been working on, this infrastructure spending across Asia, uh, parts of Europe, and into Africa about trying to basically build back the Silk Road, put infrastructure in place so that they have an easy method of shipping their products to places and bringing back raw goods and materials to make more products. It's falling on tough times. A lot of the countries that they made big, big loans to have graft and corruption that is just a phenomenal part of their day-to-day existence. So the infrastructure didn't get built to the specs that the Chinese thought it would. And then the debt isn't getting paid back and the infrastructure isn't there to ship the goods back and forth. So the Chinese are either having to double down and give more money to these very already provably corrupt places to build more infrastructure or they have to come in and say you owe us a bunch of money what do you have and the imf is saying well you're a state-backed bank so they may not have to pay you back at all they're in tough times have you seen there's a pandemic um so it's fascinating China as a whole, its economy, you know, we talk about this rel- relatively often that the biggest single chunk of the United States economy is consumerism. What? 60% or so of the economy is consumer based. It's us buying from us. In China, the largest single component of their economy is real estate. And if you think about what is real estate as a component of the economy, isn't that just an asset like a commodity? What does it actually do? Well, 35% of their growth over the last decade has been because of real estate growth, the price of real estate going up. That isn't actually building anything in the economy. It isn't an asset that's growing in value because it's being improved, although they're saying it. There's a significant number and the numbers vary from the different places that are measuring it of vacant buildings in China a significant number one the, the most extreme number i read was 20% of the available apartments apartment spaces are vacant right now uh, by available i mean already created or vacant and this kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about there's a lot of people that purchased apartments that are considered to be done but they're not done they don't have plumbing they may not have a roof and that's as done as they're gonna get so when you say that or when i say that 35 percent of the economy of china is based in real estate and its growth rate in the economy has been largely based in real estate and we're talking about it's earlier in the hour, earlier last hour, we were talking about the economy of China is kind of built on a big Ponzi scheme. This week, this the local bureaucracies, the local governments of China went on a real estate buying frenzy kind of across the entirety of the country. That doesn't happen without the central party leadership saying, do this. And they're going to be meeting... Uh, in about two and a half weeks to install Xi Jinping as president for life. His election, and put air quotes around that, which has one party and the party members are all gathering at the beginning of October to vote on, in a very democratic way, there's nobody running against him, just as a side note, uh, to vote as to whether or not he shall be president. Well, when you don't have anybody opposing him, and the vote's going to occur He's going to get elected again as president for life, basically. Um, The economy's feeling it right now. The lockdowns are pressing hard on the economy in China. And you've got this real estate issue that is becoming a big deal, even in the Chinese press. It's big enough a deal that people are talking about it in a very compliant civilization. They don't talk bad about the government. They're talking bad, really bad, about the local governments right now, which is the extent of the trash talk that they're allowed in China about their government. So the local governments are now buying real estate. Well, what real estate are they buying? A lot of times they're buying these unfinished apartments, which is raising the price of these unfinished apartments so that people then have money in their pockets. The renminbi, the yuan, the the Chinese currency has fallen about 20% against the dollar this year. They're saying that their inflation is about 2%. The numbers that they're giving us on their inflation aren't, there's no way I can do the math and get those numbers. So they're just, fudge in the books at this point, the inflation rate in China is a lot higher than what they're claiming. Uh, All of this is coming together at the same time while Russia is experiencing similar really big issues in their economy.
1: There's a fundamental divide in the world. I talked about that earlier between autocracy and democracy. And there is a great deal of comfort in saying, let's put somebody really powerful that agrees with whoever you are You say, put somebody who agrees with me in power and let them do what they need to do to make things good again or to make things great. Um, There's a real appeal to that, and that is the philosophy that's going on in China and in Russia. Both of those were leaning towards democracy, and now they've gone back towards autocracy. And here's what's going on. Jake alluded to this, but if you keep an economy going by artificially inflating real estate, through central control to avoid downturns historically that has always led to a sudden collapse now whether the chinese will be able to dodge the bullet on that this time and defy history and avoid a sudden collapse only time will tell but by keeping things artificially inflated uh russia for example did that under the soviet union until it collapsed Um, and russia has been attempting to do it again Um, there, there's a lot of cracks in the, in the system that are frankly a little frightening in both places. And, um, it's a very strange world we're in. And I don't think we've seen this world say in a hundred years, about a hundred years ago, we saw a similar set of circumstances going on in various places around the world. By the way, that's when the Russian revolution occurred about a hundred years ago and the czarist government, which looked very, very strong and very authoritative suddenly collapsed and the turkish government suddenly collapsed and that's the kind of thing that we see going on so we could see some really big events occur in the next few years in those
0: places now having said those scary things i'm going to come back with the flip side the um the positive Uh, you the united states soft power on the international scene has been growing tremendously. I mean, at a rate we haven't seen since like World War II, Mm -hmm. um, since the invasion of Ukraine. Why? Well, number one, this is something, it doesn't really matter politics, because it may have been done the same way under Donald Trump as it was under Joe Biden. Prior to the invasion of Ukraine, the Trump administration was releasing intelligence to the Ukrainians and the Europeans saying the Russians are going to invade. They are going to invade. And everybody else was saying, well, maybe they will. The Russians are saying they're not going to. It's and the Biden administration's coming back. US intelligence is saying they're about to, they're going to do it. They did it. This, this caused some changes. Then secondarily. Almost by accident, the Biden administration has not taken a lead role in the European response here. They've taken like a backseat role, really backseat. They're giving support, they're giving commiseration, they're following with sanctions after the Europeans doing it. They're not leading on this. And that's caused a great deal of trust to develop to the United States. The uh, the Pew Research uh Group, uh, The Pew Research Center uh, has this opinion of the United States that they've been publishing since way before this century. Uh, And they come out with it from different countries all through it. And so, for instance, we'll give you a couple of things. In 2020, Sweden had an opinion. The average person in Sweden had an opinion of 33% approval of the United States in 2020. This is Sweden. They're now at 66%. South Korea was at 59% in 2020, which is still really positive. They're now at 89%. Um, When we look down at, say, Belgium. Belgium, what do they feel about the United States? Well, 24% of them thought we we were pretty cool in 2020. Now 56% of them do. And you just go down this list, Poland, now think they're ninety-one percent of Poland believes that the United States is has a strongly favorable opinion of the, of the United States. So down the list, there's no place that of these measured con- countries. They don't measure Russian's opinion of us for some reason. I I think it would just be negative all the time. Uh, b- well, but we've they, got they had
1: they had some people out there measuring Russian opinion about anything, and they.
0: They all went to prison. Some
1: some disease struck because they all dropped in. They
0: just stopped answering their texts. I don't know what happened to them. They were asking opinion questions. I don't know what the problem with that. This was autocracies again. So this concept, we've had a massive rise in the opinion of the world for the United States. We have a massive rise in people wanting to buy stuff from us. So the Germans are doing absolutely everything they can to figure out how to buy more liquid natural gas from us. Even though it's more expensive than what they would get from Russia, we're not threatening to invade them. Uh, And there are a lot of politicians in Russia right now that are saying, let's not stop with Ukraine. These Germans and Polish and all these Europeans are helping the Ukrainians, and so we're gonna take them next. Uh, and that's that's at high levels of the government in Russia, saying, hey, let's just invade them on the way. Uh, so the Germans have a lower opinion of Russia than they used to and a much higher opinion of us than they used to. This is, again, kind of like pointing at somebody else falling down and laughing at them. And we fell down, but we didn't fell, fall down as hard. Our just existence looks better when these other autocracies that have been successful for decades are starting to collapse and they're starting to act the way we kind of all expected them to, but everybody's like, well, maybe they got over it. They haven't gotten over it. And, and so that's, that's the good news for us. And part of the reason why our inflation is lower than the other developed nations and other nations period, across the board, is because so many people wish to buy from us. the dollar's been going up at the same time against national currencies, which causes our imports to be cheaper for us, which lowers inflation. That's the disinflationary thing we're talking about. We're lowering inflation across the United States because our prices are dropping on our imports. And uh, so that was me putting in some good news. When we're looking at recession, there will, almost without a doubt, be a global recession in 2022, toward the end of 2022 and into 2023. There is a lot of doubt as to whether or not the United States will be in that recession. So as you're reading the headlines, you'll see global recession uh, prognosticators or FedEx says global recession's coming and so their stock price drops drastically and the entire market drops. They were saying global recession, not United States recession, and both of us are of the opinion that the European Union is gonna be in a recession, if not already there. The Chinese are probably in a recession that they're lying about it, and there's no doubt that the Russians are in a recession. They have had a contracting economy, a massively contracting economy, since they invaded Ukraine, and it wasn't that great before. So when we look at the totality of the world, South America, Africa, Europe, Asia. Uh, There are limited places in Asia that aren't in contraction right now. But then there's the United States, which doesn't look to be growing as quickly, but it's still got growth. And this is a fascinating point in history. It's right now, so it's not history yet, but we're making history at this moment. Economists are gonna study this era, the pandemic and what happens After the pandemic and how the Russians invaded and what happened to the economies of the world and what the Chinese did during the lockdowns and all of that is going to be stuff that people are studying in depth for probably centuries. And we're in it right now. So this is the whole, you know, the old Chinese curse. May you live to see interesting times. We happen to be in the most comfortable part of the world in these interesting times, so we should take a, take a moment to appreciate where we are.
1: By the way, if you have talking about bargains that are available, if you've ever thought about making a trip to the United Kingdom oh yeah, or Europe, uh, it's a grand time to do it. The, 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 the British pound sterling is at the lowest value against the dollar it has been or the dollar's highest against the pound sterling in 37 years um it, it was 1980 1970s 1980s the last time the the dollar would buy as much in united kingdom as it, as it does today yeah it's a dollar um,
0: 15 for 1 pound right now and it's been significantly higher than that over let's see where was the the, the i remember, peak I remember it was 250 yeah um, and the euro is is trading right at a dollar it's actually a little lower than a dollar so, and that was at $1.50 not that long ago. So we've got the ability to go and spend and it feels like everything's on discount because it is, because everybody wants dollars because the dollar's not having the kind of inflation that their country's having. So when you go to Europe or South America or Asia or just fill in the blank, People are very happy to see an American show up because we've got money and the money's worth more. Uh, Add that all together, from our perspective, while we've been banging on all these tough points in the economy of the world, we're in good shape. And real quick, I want to input a piece of personal finance in this big macro stuff. Um, There are some things that we need to look at, you need to be aware of, but check out the series I bond from the U S government. Sounds like I'm advertising for them. I kind of am, but not for the reasons that they're paying 9.6% on a guaranteed bond from the United States government. And that's likely to be up in the 8% range when they reset the rates for the beginning of the year. Um, so this is a, you, there's some limitations. You, you're not allowed to put more than $10,000 a person in there per year. Uh, they're technically a 30 year bond, but you, uh, you don't have to hold them for 30 years. You do have to hold them for 12 months. You cannot sell them prior to 12 months. What do you mean I can't sell it? Well, it's not custodied in a way that you could turn and even sell it to your brother or your cousin. It's sitting at the US Treasury, it's treasurydirect.gov that is the only place you can buy these. So you have to hold on to them for 12 months. And when you do sell them after 12 months, but before five years, you lose one quarter's worth of interest when you do. However, at 9.6% at an annualized rate, a quarter's worth of interest is not significant compared to what you're getting you got a 12 months of that rate. It's a phenomenal interest rate. So this is something when people say, how do I fight inflation? What can I do with my savings? I've got a high yield savings position. It's paying me 2%, but inflation's running at eight. What do I do here? Well, if you don't have need for that money for 12 months, a Series I bond is a great idea. I mean, if you've got $300,000 in the bank, putting 10,000 in there is not gonna make you feel like you're doing a whole lot, but it's a good thing to talk to people about. I got 9.6%. What'd you get?
1: Um, Well, it's 10,000 per person too. So a couple could put in 20,000.
0: And you could put in 10 for each child. And
1: And there's another little caveat here. You can go to 15,000 if you use money from an income tax return. So if you overpay the IRS at the end of the year and your income tax return comes back with a lot of money uh owed you you can take up to fifteen thousand of that and buy I series I bonds with it.
0: right. And the other factor is you can't buy this with partnership money or corporate money. This is only available to individuals, US citizens no less. So this is not an area where the federal government is asking for Chinese investment in bonds. <clears throat> this is only available to US citizens or US residents. There you go. Yep. Um That was my little bit of of personal finance in the middle of this big macro look. We've been covering China and Russia and Europe and the United States. We avoided a railway strike. It would have started last night. That would have been a big deal. So it was a, a thing we avoided. What would have happened here? A large chunk of our goods and services are delivered by railway. A big Junk. A lot of it comes across the railway. And there was an imminent strike. And the strike was over a tiny argument as to whether or not the railway workers could go see a doctor and uh, have it be counted as an excused absence or an inexcused absence. That was truly the last quibble point on the argument. And it almost ended up with a major strike that could have been the, <laughs> the last straw to push us into a recession. If we had had a major railway strike that lasted for two weeks, the United States could have been in a recession. That's how close we are. We're looking at it saying, I don't think we're in a recession yet. We're still growing well. Put that into the mix with everything else, then we may have been in a recession. So we avoided that. How did we avoid it? The Biden administration came in and said, negotiate better. And that was really it. And they did. So the president didn't personally get involved. It was just the kind of mechanisms of the bureaucracy. And it probably would have been under any authority. And I always say that. Even when Trump Trump was in office, I said the same thing. It wasn't Trump doing it. It was the bureaucracy. And anyway, go ahead.
1: Well, you know... the articles didn't say anything about it, but I remember back when, and the law is still on the book, I think it's the Taft-Hartley Act, um, the president, if it's a matter of national security, and shutting down the railroads would be a matter of national security, and presidents have done this in the past, can say, no, you can't go on strike. You will continue to work. Um, and, and, and I think probably the, when he said negotiate better, because if you don't negotiate better, we'll just do it ourselves. Right. And, and I but think it, they reached a compromise rather quickly.
0: It was the Taft-Hartley Act, and it was yeah. an, a, an adjustment of the Wagner Act even. Uh, and the Taft-Hartley Hartley Act, the reason why it was, it was, by the way, it was passed by Congress over a veto from Truman. Mm-hmm. So it was something that the vast majority of Americans wanted, and it put more restrictions on corporations as far as what fair labor meant but then put a bunch of restrictions on unions as to when they could strike. Because before that, the corporations could do a lot of things we consider unfair today, and the unions could go on strike at a drop of a hat um, or a pen or any of the other analogies using the word drop in them. And we're about out of time.
1: This is the Personal Wealth Coach with Jeff and Jake
0: McClure uh this is the personal wealth coach and we do make uh other statements than really bad puns a- about songs uh we are uh, a a finance program as you would probably guess from the personal wealth coach being our title the personal wealth coach is not just the title of the program it's also the name of an sec registered investment advisory firm all right well does that mean that the sec likes us what would you say to that sir
1: I would say that the SEC is professionally dislikes almost everyone. Right.
0: That is no implication of the SEC's approval just because we're registered with them. Why is the radio program and the firm named the same thing? Because we have to give this disclosure no matter what it is, and it's less disclosurable. It takes less time to do if it's just the same name. So we've been doing this program, here uh, on this stu- in, on this station, 1400 a.m. in Temple, since 1996. We've been doing this a long time, and we haven't been paid for it ever. Uh, we also <clears throat> have not ever paid for it. So we've been doing this a long, long time, and the whole idea is education. We do advertise as a firm for on the studio, uh, on the channel, for this radio program. We don't actually advertise for our firm. We're advertising for the radio program. So what we're saying is that this is educational, and we do occasionally get business from it, but our purpose here is truly education. That being said, it's not advice. Advice would be, if I knew who you were, if the other bald guy, Jeff, knew who you were, and we were able to have a private conversation with you about things in your best interest versus broadcasting to everyone. So we're going to be talking about education, which is why we do the program to begin with. So those two disclosures are really one. And having said that, do you deem to tell us another disclosure? Yes.
1: The information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information.
0: And he really can't get through the week without that. I think right. uh, if you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually give individually, uh, individually crafted and customized advice based on what people are trying to achieve. That's general portfolio for, management and portfolio management. And that's generally for people with higher net worths, but we make exceptions occasionally. Um, and so you can contact us locally voicemail available during the weekend, but actual real live people, no phone tree during the week at 254
1: 947 1111
0: You can reach that line tool free at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN.
1: And I think it's important to note that we're an independent fiduciary firm. We don't work for a corporation. We only work for our clients. Right. Exactly.
0: Uh, You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. There's a contact form. You can use emails, Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. There are uh, recordings of the radio program going back years, newsletters going back decades, uh, and you can find us wherever podcasts are given. Um, Thank you very much for listening on a nice Saturday morning. And until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.